Wow. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> Woo. Man, if you didn't get blessed with that, your blesser is broke. <laughs> I'm telling you, that is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. That's worth the price of admission right there. I can go home. <laughs> My goodness. Thank you for being here tonight. This is the last night of camp meeting. And I'm kind of sad about that because it's been wonderful. I know we're getting a little tired and my son has been praying for me to come home at the dinner table saying, let my daddy come home on Sunday. And uh, so I'm, you know, there's a part of us that wanna, you know, wrap it up, but uh, part of me doesn't wanna wrap it up. And I want us not to wrap it up before the service is over tonight, not even before tomorrow. Could we give it our best tonight? Um, you know, uh, uh, you have encouraged me so much in this camp meeting, and just by being here, you've been an encouragement. Not everybody always encourages. Somebody told me before the service uh, tonight, this afternoon, they said, well, I won't be there tonight. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, uh, Trump is freaking down in, <laughs> in Columbus. I said, you mean I've been bumped by Trump? <laughs> That's a first for my ministry, to get bumped, the Trump bump. But anyway, you're here, and I'm so glad that you are. And uh, I have had this message on my heart all week long, and I have not uh, brought it out for obvious reasons because John uh, Juniman is such an outstanding and wonderful preacher, and he has been preaching from John 17. But this afternoon, I felt like the Lord said, go ahead. <laughs> and I hope that's okay, John, but uh, I just... I just felt like the Lord said, go ahead. It'll just be complimentary. It'll just be added on. It's, uh, it's just on my heart. In fact, I came with this message thinking I would probably preach this message, and I'd set it aside and said, I won't be doing that one. And then today, I just felt like the Lord said, no. And in light of my preaching the other night, I just felt like I ought to practice my own preaching. When the Lord says, do something, I want to do it. So if you will indulge me tonight and turn to John chapter 17 one more time, uh, let's uh, stand in honor of God's Word and let's look at the beginning at verse 9 just to get a little of the context uh, for it and then we're going to go all the way through to verse 23 tonight. Uh, John 17 beginning with verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those you have given me for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, thank you so much for the beautiful service we've enjoyed, the powerful singing, for all that has taken place. Lord, this is a great high mountain peak of Scripture in the New Testament. It is too high for me to attain all of its heights or to plumb all of its depths. But Lord, help us together to hear the word of the Lord tonight and to be responsive to what you may say to us. Anoint my lips and give me power to preach with anointing from on high and give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. Help us to give attention to the word. It is your word and this is your prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're gonna need tonight to listen carefully. And I know it's warmer, uh, it's not too bad, but it's a little warmer. I also know we've been also in camp meeting for a week, a uh, week and a half, some of you. Some of us are a little bit tired, but it's really important that you listen carefully to this message. This really is one of the mountain peaks of scripture in the New Testament. It is one of the holy of holy places Jesus on the night he was betrayed, the high priestly prayer, the longest prayer in the Bible that is recorded of Jesus, the last prayer before he is arrested and goes to the cross. You really wanna pay attention. I, I have learned over the years that sometimes when I don't pay attention, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I can remember when my daughter was uh, just a little child and she, uh, she was probably five or six. Emily was uh, at my feet all the time. And it was Sunday morning and I was trying to get ready for church and I had a message on my heart. I was getting ready to preach in my mind. I'm getting ready for church. I'm, I'm, I'm combing my hair. I'm doing all the things I do on a Sunday morning to get ready physically but also spiritually. And uh, here comes my daughter Emily and she's just all around me and she's all hovering over. And then she says, Dad, I got something to tell you. I said, uh, not now, honey, I'm, I'm trying to get ready. I'm putting the toothpaste on the toothbrush and I'm um, well, you know, doing everything and I start brushing my teeth. She says, but dad, I really need to tell you something right now. And about that time I started brushing my teeth. She said, but dad, please let me tell you something right now. I said, Emily, I told you now, I am busy. I'll talk to you later. And about that time she broke into a cry. And I realized I had overdone it. You know, dads, you've probably never done that, but I mean, I wasn't being very sensitive. And I said, oh, Emily, I'm so sorry. Honey, what is it that you want right now that can't wait? She pouted and cried and she said, well, she said, I just wanted to tell you, Anthony had your toothbrush and he was playing with it in the toilet. <laughs> and I went, Since then, I have always paid attention when my kids are talking to me. I want to know the little detail. One missing piece of information can leave a bad taste in your mouth. And tonight, if the terminology or my style bothers you, please tolerate it just a little while. If my personality is a barrier to you, try to overlook it and try to hear what the scriptures say tonight over and against everything else. Try to give attention 
to the word. I occasionally have someone say to me, Pastor, I've never heard much about sanctification. What is that? What is it about? What does it mean? Why does it matter? Tonight we've read uh, one of those uh, passages of scripture, one of those major portions where it is mentioned in this prayer, verse 17, and, and Jesus himself is praying using this terminology, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. It's kind of almost a climax, I would say, of this prayer. It's moving towards this. And then the next couple of verses, he says, for them I sanctify myself, that they may be truly sanctified. And then he moves into some other areas that spin out of that. And this prayer is so important. This prayer is for his disciples. This prayer is what is, is in what is known as the imperative mood, which means Jesus is not just talking about something. He's not just describing something. He's not speculating about something. He is asking the Father to do something, and he's doing so in an imperative way. He, he is asking him, and, and he's not commanding the Father, but he, is, but he is definitely pushing the envelope. This is really important. He wants the Father to do something. This is an intercessory prayer, he is asking the Father to sanctify the disciples. Whether you've ever heard much about it or not, if you're a Christian tonight and you value the Word of God at all, you should be interested in knowing what Jesus was imperatively pleading on behalf of the disciples to the Father on the night before he was, the night he was arrested, the night before he was crucified. I mean, Jesus is not on any side issues. He's not on any trivialities here. He's not out there on, on things that are just peripheral. I mean, when you're about to go to the cross and you're praying to the Father and you're getting the last communications in before you're arrested, let me tell you, you're only dealing with the most important issues of all. Sanctify them. The word sanctify comes from the root word, the most basic level for earth, with a prefix that creates a negative construction to it. An example of this in English is the word typical. If you take the word typical and you put a letter A in front of it and make it a negative constructive word, then you have typical means common, normal, ordinary. But if you put an A in front of it, it means atypical is not common, not normal. So in the word sanctify, the root uh, uh, part of this uh, construction, this negative construction is the root is earth or world with a negative construction before it, it would be our English letter A, and it becomes not earth at its most basic level, not world. Therefore, it's, the word sanctify literally means not earth, not world at its most basic level. Notice how in verse 16 and 17, this is amplified, and it's kind of a play on words. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, not of the world, not world. Unworld them. The word sanctify means not of the world, which developed into separate from the world, which developed into set apart from the world. 
As the word was used, it came to say, set apart for a holy purpose, to make holy. It eventually became the, a word that could mean cleansing and purification as things were purified and set apart so that they could be used for a holy purpose, separate from the common, separate from the ordinary, not earth. So someone comes in and says, I've never heard much about sanctification, but here it is in the red letters at the core of Jesus' high priestly prayer, praying for his disciples that the Father would sanctify them, set them apart, separate them for a holy purpose, make them holy, even purify them so that they can be useful and holy. To sanctify means not worldly, but holy, not common, but extraordinary, set apart for a holy purpose. Now it's important not only to know the meaning of the word sanctify, but also who is he praying for to be sanctified, praying to the Father, who to be sanctified. Verse nine, he makes it clear. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. These are the disciples of Jesus, according to verse 8, who have accepted the word of God and believed in Jesus. According to verse 9, they belong to the Father, and they are, according to verse 10, already glorifying the Father. They're already bringing you, you've already brought glory to your name through these. Then to make it absolutely unmistakably clear, in verse 16 he says, they're not of the world even as I'm not of the world, and he creates, I wouldn't call equivalence, but he creates a likeness that says that they're of the same ilk, they're of the same, they're, they're participating in the same reality that I am. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. They're glorifying you. They believe in me. They belong to God. Uh, elsewhere, it says their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for your unsaved neighbors. I'm not praying for your backslidden family members. I'm praying for these disciples. The imperative prayer of Jesus is not for the world, not for the unsaved, but for these disciples. People who have accepted the word, believed in Jesus, belong to God, and are bringing glory to the Lord. Who is this prayer for? If you're a Christian, according to verse 20, it is also for you. There is one more thing that he says. My prayer is not for them alone, but also I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them will have this same blessing that he's praying for as well. This imperative is not only directed to the disciples who are immediately with him in his ministry, but it's directed across the years, across the miles, around the globe, all the way to where you and I are tonight, even at Camp Sychar in this place, we are included in this intercessory prayer. Some of you have blessed my socks off this week. I mean, you have been so wonderful to me. One of the things you have done is you have made intercessory prayer a priority on behalf of my family, and you have prayed for my wife. And I want to tell you something. Since she was anointed, at, we anointed Sandy Spain for her at the altar down here. She has had a better day every day this week. This has been the most trouble-free week she has had in absolutely many, many months. I praise the Lord for that. Thank you for doing that. It warms my heart. It encourages me. Thank you. But I want to tell you something. What even encourages me more is that Jesus 
is making intercessory prayer right now for me and for you. He did it here in this night, but the Bible says he always lives to make intercession for us, and this intercessory prayer is at high priority level considering where it is and how it's prayed. Jesus is praying for God the Father to do something. Notice it is for God to do something. It is not a prayer for you to do anything. This is not a prayer for you to work harder and strive harder. This is not a prayer for me to give more money or to to try to get up earlier and do more. This is a prayer for Father to do something for us we can't do for ourselves. And that makes it a work of grace. Only God can do what Jesus is asking for here. It is God's work to sanctify the human heart. And he does it as an act of grace for us. Interestingly, this would make a great study, and I haven't totally fleshed it out, but this is the same way the Apostle Paul prays for the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It is God the Father who does the work. He says, may the very God of peace, God himself, sanctify you through and through. Entirely New American Bible, Standard Bible, Holy King James, completely New King James Bible, NIV through and through, completely. The one who calls you, verse 24, is faithful, and he will do it. Paul's not praying for the Thessalonians to do anything. He's praying for God to do something in their lives. He is faithful, and he will do it. And here the apostle Paul is praying for the Thessalonians for similar reasons also. And we'll get into that in just a moment. John 17, God himself sanctifies. So here's the deal. Even if it has been neglected in your experience, for whatever reason, it's pretty important stuff. It's in the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's his intercession for us. It's something he wants God the Father to do for us that seems to be imperative, so much so that on the night he was betrayed, this is what Jesus is praying about. Important enough to be at the core when the plot to kill Jesus is already in motion. You can almost hear the the shuttling of the the feet and the the rattle of the armor, and you can see the torches in the distance as as the enemies of Jesus are moving in for the kill to arrest him, and there's no time left for anything else except what is vitally important, and here's where he's praying. Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I'm about to go, and I want you to do something for them. And in these conditions, it would be really imperative for us to ask this question, why? Why is this so important? Why would he pray that way? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because he's not praying for his disciples to be converted. He's praying for them to be sanctified for their protection for their protection. Look at verse 15 and 17 with me, and you'll see it. The NIV says protect. The the New King James will say kept. It means the same thing. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The deep meaning of sanctify is not world, not earth. 
But it doesn't mean leave the earth. It doesn't mean take them to heaven. It doesn't mean get them into heaven or make them ready for heaven in the sense that they're ready to go and they're ready to depart. It's too late to be sanctified when you get to heaven because you don't need protection like this in heaven. You need this kind of protection right down here on terra firma. You need to be sanctified down here because we need protection from the enemy. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you, for an exit or an escape, but that, the word, that you would protect them from the evil one. The evil one's not in heaven. The evil one is not what you need to worry about at the hour and article of death. The evil one is the one you need to worry about when you go home to your own church or when you go home when you're watching TV late at night and you're struggling over that clicker thing or when you're making decisions about your life. You need protection from the evil one. It is a prayer for God to do something so deeply into our hearts, so establish us so firmly that the evil one will not easily find an ex a way to find a foothold to exploit us and destroy us as happened in Judas who is referenced in verse 12, who is clearly on Jesus' mind. Judas was destroyed. Judas had a weakness. Judas had a vulnerability. Jesus is praying for the deep word of God for, to protect his remaining disciples from falling away to the evil one, even as Judas had. My brother David, I've told you about some of my brothers that have had... Uh, Bad results, I've had a couple of other brothers. I got a brother that's a Russian Orthodox priest. I mean, we, we, we don't uh, see eye to eye on a lot of things and yet we're, we're both believers in Christ, but, but his perspective and, and mine are very different. He's an ordained Russian Orthodox priest. He's pastored his own church for over 15 years. He started that church down in Houston. He's the president of the Russian, of the Orthodox Clergy Association of Houston, Texas. I got another brother that is an attorney and just retired from 25 years in the Air Force, Fulberg Kirtle. Brilliant, both these men are brilliant. My brother David, when he went to the new student orientation at Baylor University, where he first went for his undergraduate studies, this was his experience. He took it to heart. Nobody in our family had ever graduated high school before, except me. I led the way and then they followed behind and, and it was us, nobody in the previous generations. So we were all serious about what we were going to do in school. My brother David said at Baylor at New Student Orientation, the, the person directing it said, ladies and gentlemen, look to your left. Look to your right. See those of your classmates on either side of you. They may not graduate with you. You will have to decide whether you're going to avail yourself of all the resources, all the opportunities, all the tutoring if necessary, whatever requirements of study, you will have to be all in to graduate from this university. And not everybody here is going to be a graduate of Baylor University. I can tell you from experience, that's the way it's going to be, even though we want all of you to graduate. All of you could graduate. You wouldn't be here if you couldn't graduate, but I'm just telling you, not all of you will graduate. Look to your right and to your left. They may not be with you. You must decide whether you're going to be one of the ones who's going to avail yourself of all the opportunities that Baylor has to offer and get your education and graduate. That made an impression. And I got to thinking about it. And as a pastor, 
I have to tell you that one of the things that breaks my heart the most is when I think about the people who at one time sat on my right and sat at my left, and we started out together, who are no longer serving the Lord in any capacity. Some of them are laymen. Some of them are, were pastors, and they've gone by the wayside. They didn't take, for whatever reason, all of the opportunities that were theirs, and somehow or another, the evil one somehow worked in. I almost dread putting together a church directory with the pictures in it. Have you had this experience? Maybe, I hope I'm not uh, the only one, but, but uh, maybe I do hope I'm the only one. I, I, I order a directory. We have all the pictures, all the families. It takes, seems like forever. They never keep their promises of how quick it's gonna come. It takes months to get that thing back. It's unbelievable how long it takes. They never follow through as fast as they say they will. You finally get the thing and you open up and the first thing your eye falls on is somebody who at one time seemed to love the Lord and was in the church and seemed to be there and they're not there anymore. It breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Teenagers, I know that I look like an old man. <laughs> because I am an old man. <laughs> In fact, I was so blessed by some of you. You have someone, somebody said, man, pastor, we really enjoyed your message. We really liked your message. Last night, somebody came to me and said, he said, I just want you to know that message that you really, that was really great. And I'm just kind of feeling really good inside. And then he said, it's kind of like having a jolly old grandpa preaching at you. <laughs> and I thought, oh, thank you. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> but I am a grandpa. And I want to be jolly. <laughs> but I don't want to think of myself that way. I think about my youth group. We had a strong youth group. I don't know what happened to all of them. Several of us are in the church. Two or three of us are pastoring. Some who were equally a part of the group are atheists and agnostics and hostile. And so he prays, Father, sanctify them, protect them from the evil one. Interestingly enough, just in passing, that's why Paul is, is partly praying what he does in Thessalonians. If you look later, you don't want to look now perhaps, but in chapter 3, verse 10, his whole letter of reason for writing the letter is because he's afraid that the work that he had done might have been in vain. Perhaps the evil one may have moved in and caused everything that he had worked on in Thessalonians to go up in smoke. And then Timothy comes and gives him the report that indeed they're standing firm. Then he says, I'm praying night and Day that I may supply what's lacking in your faith. Not for people who are backsliding, they're standing firm, but apparently there's something they need, and then he prays for them to be sanctified. Interesting parallel. I'm not praying you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you would sanctify them. How does it, how does it protect? Well, think about that word. He's not praying to take us out of the world. It would defeat the whole thing. If all Jesus wanted to do was save you and get you to heaven, I suppose, he could save us and execute us and get us to heaven before we could mess up. He could just beam us up once we accept him. That's not his plan. What he wants to do is he wants to do something more for us. So instead of taking us out of the world, he wants to take the world out of us. Sanctify them. 
unworld them. Take the world out. Unworld them. He, he, he said, let's not take them out of the world, Father. Let's keep them in the world, but let's take the world out of them so that you can protect them from the enemy having a stronghold in, in our, or a possible foothold that would get them uh, in that place of vulnerability. I'm not asking you to do something like remove them, but I am asking you to do something that will protect them. Well, the second thing, what else does this do? It is not only for our protection, but it's for our communion. I won't read them uh, initially, but verse, you look at verse 11, you look at verse 20, and you look at verse 23. When he sanctifies us, he dethrones uh, uh, a worldly spirit of the world in our hearts. The spirit of the world is this. My way or the highway. My tribe against your tribe. If you don't play by my rules, I'll take my ball and go home. The spirit of the world is very judgmental with other people and very easy on myself and very easy on those that I, I like and prefer. It, it, this spirit of the world is get ahead at any cost. I have to be better. I have to have more. I want to be right and I have to win. The spirit of the world is you hurt me or one of mine and I'll hurt you and perhaps I'll hurt you worse. The spirit of the world is, my needs are next. Too bad about yours or theirs. And of course, when the spirit of the world is in place, those tendencies, the selfish, the worldly, that part that puts self first, breaks fellowship, destroys Church destroys relationship, destroys and alienates, divides and breaks unity. It is one of the many ways the evil one not only attacks individuals, but attacks groups of people, including churches, I suppose even groups like this or any group where people come together for the purpose of glorifying God. Sanctify them for their protection, he says, and may they be one as we are one, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John has, has done such a wonderful job of fleshing this out, this cooperation, this cohesion, this love, this harmony that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, let them be one like we're one, and let us be one with them like you're, we're one with each other. Let's invite them into the fellowship. When he sanctifies us, he doesn't wipe out our individual quirks, in idiosyncrasies, I can still be pretty annoying at times, but the love of God and the participation in the divine nature makes it possible for us to be in union and unity with each other. Not always uniformity. I may not think exactly like you. My opinions may be different than you. I might do something differently than you, but I can be in union with you through Christ because we're participating in the same reality in Jesus. And so this Sanctification is for our protection, it's for our union, and lastly, it's for our mission. It's for the mission. The reason he wants to take the world out of us and not us out of the world is the mission. Look at those words and how this is all put together. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's mission. For them I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who believe in their message. That's mission. 
that all of them may be one Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's mission. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. And then what happens? Mission. Then the world will know you have sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. It's all about the mission. It's about getting it done. It's about winning the world. If all God wanted to do is get us to heaven, he could take us out, but he wants to get other people to heaven too. And so as a result, he wants to change our nature and our character. He wants to protect us from destroying the fellowship. He doesn't want us to be uh, uh, something that'll be disruptive. He wants us to be working cohesion and in order together so we can actually make a difference in the world. Souls protected and communion in the church, sanctify them. Get the world out of them, Father so that the world may know that you have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus prayed this, not for our satisfaction, not for our feelings, not so we can have a warm fuzzy at camp meeting. He prayed it for your survival. He prayed it for the cohesion of the church, and he prayed it for to get the job done in the world that needs so desperately to know that there is a Savior in heaven that loves them and died for them and wants to have fellowship with them. This one has made the ultimate sacrifice, not only for their sins, but ultimately he made this ultimate sacrifice, and the atonement includes this, I sanctify myself that they may truly be sanctified. I, I surrender myself fully. And ultimately that means to the cross. He looked down through the years and he saw a young pastor, a believer, a new convert. He knew the enemy of our souls would love to pounce, disrupt, break unity, destroy the mission, break cohesion. He'll be in there. He'll try to disrupt what's going on. We see it all over everywhere. Father, sanctify that pastor. Sanctify that layman. Sanctify that teenager. Protect them from the evil one. Help them to be one as we are one. Help them to be one so that the world will know that, that you have loved them and that, 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 that you have loved them the way uh, you love me. He looked down on a church, your church, and he wants your church to be effective. He wants your church to be a blessing. He wants your church to win the lost. He wants your church to be an oasis of love. He wants it to be different than every other place on the planet. He wants it to be a little colony of heaven here on earth, right now, here and now. He says, sanctify them. Protect them, help them with the union, help them get the mission done. Lord, Father, sanctify them. Relatives and friends of ours, marriages hanging in the balance. Jesus loves us and loves them. He's praying for us, moms and dads. He's looking at a mom and dad who are desperately concerned with the way the world is going, whether they're teenagers, when they're in their later years, are also going to be a part of Camp Psyker, are also going to love Jesus, are also going to be serving in the church like they have. They are desperate to make sure that happens. And the Father is looking down on this, and Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, Father. Sanctify them. Help them. Protect them.
Make them one. Use them so that their children will know that I have loved them just as you have loved me. He's praying. I believe he's praying that way right now. He always lives to make intercession. In fact, if Jesus is praying this prayer and he prayed it down through the years for people who believe in the message, he prayed it for us. That means there's a prayer meeting going on right now by extension. And I'm wondering if anybody here on the last night of camp meeting would say, I'd like to join that prayer meeting. I'd like to get in there with Jesus because you know what? I've prayed a lot of prayers and and, and frankly, I don't always get the results I want. Sometimes I don't even know how to pray the way I want, the way I should. I don't even understand what the will of God is sometimes. I don't always get what I ask for. But I want to tell you, there is somebody that is so close to the Father, someone that is so one with him, he knows the heart and mind of the Father, and he always gets through, and his will is known, and he's praying for you. And he's praying for me that we'd be sanctified through and through. Why not join him for a prayer meeting? Why not? I'd have to ask you, has this prayer been answered for you? You say, well, well, is this the end of the line? Is this the end of it? No, this is, this is improvable. This is the beginning of growth. This is the removal of impediments to growth. This is the beginning of something of effectiveness. It is not the, the end of it all. It's the beginning of a whole new way of living and operating. E. Stanley Jones struggling in his faith, wanting to serve the Lord, believing in Jesus, asking for forgiveness, but inside a war is going on, a little bit of struggle. He doesn't have all the want to that he knows he should have, and he's praying about it. Finally, he says to his mother, Mother, is this the best God can do? Leave a man divided against himself, struggling against the old way of doing things and struggling for the will of God. Is this the best I can expect? And her answer to Stanley Jones was, no, it isn't the best God can do. God can settle our hearts and establish us in a way that is beyond that. And Stanley Jones went to a place of prayer and he said it was really not emotional. He said it really was kind of quiet. He had been reading Hannah Whitehall Smith, A Christian Secret of a Happy Life. And in that moment, it seemed as though that God was saying, now is the time. And he said, I got down on my knees. And it was all so simple. He said, I made an exchange. I surrendered my will and my all. I said, Lord, here am I. And he gave his all to the Lord. And he said, when I did that, He gave me his all, my all for his all. And he said, he filled me. (laughs) He sanctified me. He filled me to the end of my fingers and to the roots of my hair. God was all in all. E. Stanley Jones went on to be the most outstanding missionary in Methodism in the 20th century because his heart was fully sanctified and surrendered to God. He was protected. He was a communion maker. He was a unifier. 
And he was one in that who extended the love of Jesus around the world. Shall we stand together? There's a prayer meeting going on. On this last night of camp meeting, Jesus is praying. Any of us wanna pray about this need? I need protection. Father, there are some in this place who they're struggling over some issues. We don't have to enumerate them, but Lord, we know that those issues are a plague uh, that is a part of our society. And, and Lord, we're not exempt. We know in a crowd this size it's going on and, and we want to serve you, Lord. Would you protect us from the evil one? Would you cleanse and sanctify our hearts? Lord, we want to be on the same page, sing from the same songbook. We want to be on unifying terms with each other and with you. And Lord, we want to be effective in ministry. Lord, there's a prayer meeting. Jesus always gets through. Jesus always knows how to pray right. Could it be? Could it be he's praying for you or you? or me? Has this prayer been answered in your life? If it has, praise the Lord. But if it hasn't, it's, hey, God can do it. And Jesus knows how to pray. The only missing piece is for us to join the prayer meeting. No judgment here, no condemnation here. This is for God's people. If you're backslidden, if you don't know Jesus, come down and repent of your sins. I'm asking the very best teenagers, the very best people in the church who are struggling in their spirit, the very best God has, you're glorifying God, but you need this work in your life. It's a work of grace. He prayed for you. The altar's open. How about joining the prayer meeting? Just for no other reason. If, how about joining it for your family? How about joining it for your church? How about for Camp Syker? Let's join the prayer meeting and let the prayer of Jesus be answered in us. You come, the altar is open. Oh, to be like thee, the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and Gladly I'll forfeit all of life's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee. Blessed. If not, come and let's have it answered. Oh, to be like full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind. 
prayer. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee. A blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweet Come in thy So thank you, oh God, that you prayed for me, that every one of us could know that as Christ knelt there, he prayed for each of us, for our sanctification. Lord, not that we would be taken out of the world, but protected in it, that we would know the wholeness, the fullness the Holy Spirit's filling. Lord, we know that we have heard wonderful sermons in these past days on John 17. We know that this prayer has been set before us time and time again. Lord, we come to this last night and we want to be sure that every heart is clear. Lord, if there are some who are yet to respond, then let them come now to not wait any longer. And yet, Lord, if there is nothing between our soul and our Savior, if there is nothing that stands in the way of us knowing you and experiencing you in fullness, then, Father, let us go in the strength and power that is ours in Christ Jesus to live transformed lives, holy, given to you, to respond to you quickly in every way you ask. All of this we ask in Christ's name, amen.